and welcome to episode 35 of Board Game Blitz, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network and a podcast about all things board games that you can listen to in less time than it takes to use a glass of water to check if every die in your collection is perfectly weighted. This week, we're talking about dice. First, we discuss a few games we've played recently, like Exit the Game, Ethnos, and Dice Forge. Then, we talk about the role that dice play in games, including games we love that dice factor into, how dice can help bring out the theme of a game, and why dice don't always equal randomness. Finally, we wrap things up with a look at the etymology of the word roll. And now, here are your hosts, Hamby, Cassidy, and me, Crystal. Recently, I've played a bunch of escape room games, and one of my favorite series is the Exit the Game series. I've played three scenarios, the Abandoned Cabin, the Pharaoh's Tomb, and the Secret Lab. All of these Exit the Game games have the same base mechanism. There's different puzzles that you're trying to solve, and each of the answers have like a three-symbol code, and there's a dial that you input the code, and it gives you a number, and then there's decks of cards where you look through the number, and you get like more hints and riddles and stuff. But there's very different puzzles in each of the games. The interesting thing about Exit the Game compared to other escape room games is that exit the game is not replayable at all. You can write on or rip up or cut the materials. So there's more freedom to do neat things with the puzzles than other escape room board games, since you can basically rip things up and move them around and write on them and stuff. That is a detriment for some people because you can't resell it. You basically just throw it away after you're done with it. But they're only about $15. So for an escape room experience, I really enjoy them. I've played the Unlock games, uh, Escape Escape Room, the board game, and Escape the Room game, I think. So I've played a bunch of different Escape Room board games, and I've done real Escape Rooms. And the Exit the Game ones are my favorite Escape Room board games by far, because they feel the most like an actual Escape Room to me. I still prefer real Escape Rooms, but they're more expensive, and you need more people. I literally, I echo all of your sentiments. I have also played, I've played all of the systems that you mentioned, except Mm -hmm. for, uh, what did, what did you say? The last one, the escape, escape the room, room, I think the stargazer's manor is the one. Right. That's the only one that I haven't played. I've played all of the unlock scenarios. Mm -hmm. I've played two of the three exits and I've played two of the four escape room, the game scenarios. And yeah, exit, I think is my favorite as well because the puzzles are a little more unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just awesome. And it's uh, important to note that the Exit series of games recently won the Kennerspiel des Jahres, which yeah. is one of the most prestigious awards in board gaming. But I liked it before it won the award. So. <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect it to win the award because it's a one-time use game. But I really like it, so it's exciting that it won. It's innovative and it's strategic. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a good choice for Kennerspiel. I'm yeah. glad that it won. I think it, it helps solidify the shift that board games, that new things can really be like come about and happen in the world of board gaming. And I'm, I'm happy that they're recognizing that. Yeah. So if you have played escape, game, escape room games and you like them, then you should try out these exit the game games. If you haven't tried out an escape room or the escape room games, then you should try it to see if you like it. Well, if you like puzzles, it's timed puzzles, basically. You're trying to escape a room in 60 minutes. You should try it out. And if you like it, then you might want to try an actual escape room, too. I still don't know if I'll ever play an escape room game. (laughs) I just love them so much. (laughs) 
Recently, I got to play Ethnos, which again is another 2017 game. I'm shocked that I keep playing these games that are releasing the same year that I'm playing them. I don't understand what's become of me. Ethnos plays two to six players in roughly 45 to 60 minutes and is released by Simon. In Ethnos, you're competing to be the next lord by controlling kingdoms and recruiting allies to your side. There are 12 total tribes that you can choose from, but only six tribes will actually be in the game, which kind of provides some variety each time you play, because you're not always going to have the same six tribes. And each tribe has a unique ability that aids you when you recruit them to your side. Ethnos is technically an area control game with a splash of set collecting. Each time you recruit a band of allies, you'll add a control marker to uh, the matching territory on the on the map. And the reason I say it's mildly set collecting is because your band of allies have to either all be the same tribe or all be the same color. And you get more victory points based on the size of your band of allies. So the more you have in the set, the more points you get. At the beginning of the game, each player is going to start with one ally card, and there will be three dragon cards dealt into the deck to determine when the when the round will end. So once you flip over that third dragon card, the round is over, and you'll go to the next round, and it's played in a total of three rounds. During the round, you can recruit allies by drawing a card, or you can play a band of allies from your hand. When you play a band of allies from your hand, you're going to play them all face up in front of you with your leader of the band on top. The leader determines what special ability you get to use and which territory or which kingdom you're going to place a control marker on. You want to place control markers on multiple kingdoms, but you also want to make sure you're in first or second place on those maps to get the majority of the victory points. There's there's a lot going on in this game considering how how simple it actually is. The other thing is once you've built your band of allies, any cards that are remaining in your hand will go face up to the draw pile or the draw area. So other players will be able to either pick one of the face up cards or one of the face down cards. So you're allowing other players to basically take your scraps, which might benefit them greatly if they're trying to collect that specific color or that specific tribe. At the end of each age, you're going to get victory points based on the size of your band and which areas you control. The game of Ethnos I played had the halflings. So the halflings, instead of having 12 of them in in the deck, there are 24, and they don't allow you to take over any territory if they're the leader. So really, they're completely about just the set collecting part of the game. The more halflings you get, the more victory points you get. I played my game without being the first in controlling any territory. I think I was second or third in two places and won because of the sheer amount of halflings I had. So I played the area control game without controlling any area (laughs) and won. Nice. (laughs) Oh, wow. It was awesome. I really liked Ethnos. It was a lot of fun. That's cool. Yeah, I got to play Ethnos at Dice Tower Con. My play wasn't very good because it had it had halflings and centaurs and elves. And centaurs let you play two bands. And elves let you keep cards in your hand equal to the size of the band you played, I think. 
So with that combination, there ended up being almost always no cards that are face up. So it was basically just drawing from the deck all the time. But I could see it being more interesting when with a different combination of cards. Yeah, I feel like if I were to play more of this, I wouldn't do a random tribe mm -hmm. selection. I'd probably try to pick it more to what's going to play well together or not yeah. interfere with other things so much just to make it a little more enjoyable. Yeah. I love Ethnos and it's really truthfully, I mean, I know you mentioned what the theme is, but it, there's the theme is pretty <laughs> pasted on uh, and I still love it. I think it's a lot mm -hmm. of fun. And the best part about it is the turns go lightning fast. So even mm -hmm. if you're playing with six players, there's very little downtime and that's pretty rare in a six player game. So, and the, the game itself is fast too. So definitely a benefit. I just got to try Dice Forge for the first time, which is a fairly new game. It was a 27 re release from Asmodee for two to four players that plays in around 45 minutes. I know that I generally talk about very thematic games, and I will say up front, this one is not. Uh, <laughs> if you go to their Board Game Geek page, it does say in the text, Heroes, stand ready. The gods are offering a seat in heaven to whichever hero defeats their rivals. Your courage and wits will be your most precious allies as you use divine dice to gather resources along the road to victory. And that's way more thematic than this game actually is when you play it. But I don't care because it's so much fun. So in Dice Forge, all of the players start with the same two dice. The two dice themselves are not identical. Um, and they have four different faces to start the game. Either gold sunstones, moonstones, or pure victory points. And all of the faces are removable. And during the course of the game, on every player's turn, every player rolls their dice. So you roll your dice on every person's turn, which is awesome. There is zero downtime in this game. And then the person, the active player, gets to spend resources from their resource board to either move their pawn to an area to buy a card or to buy from the market and buy new dice faces. And when they buy new dice faces, they pop out the ones on their dice currently and put the new ones in. And the new dice faces um, are either better resources, so higher amounts of those things, gold, sunstones, moonstones, victory points, or there are ways with the cards to acquire special dice faces. So like a times three multiplier or something that will let you purchase something on someone else's turn or something that will allow you to put it on somebody else's die. And when they roll it on their die, you get something then too. It is super fast. It's nine rounds. And I, when we got to like round six or seven of my first play, I was like, wait, it's almost over already. And I was so sad because we were having so much fun. It is definitely a light game. I would say this qualifies as 100% as a gateway game. I think you could teach this to anyone. And uh, there is some variability in the setup in which cards you put out um, and what things are available to purchase. But I do see that like after a whole bunch of plays, it might get a little samey, but there's a lot of different strategies you can employ. So this game, I think, would benefit from expansions, but does not necessarily need them to be added to your collection. And because you get to choose what sides go on to which dice, it's cool because, yes, it's still the randomness of a dice roll, but you get to, like, you can make one of your dice all awesome. So you're guaranteed to roll something great every time. Or you can split up your awesome things and hope that they both get rolled. And... Holy moly, so much fun. Not to mention just building your own dice is cool. So I really loved it. I think I'm going to be adding it to my collection shortly. That is Dice Forge from Asmodee. 
Yeah, that sounds cool. I hadn't heard like what that game is, but it sounds really cool building your own dice sides. Like I haven't seen a game like that before. There are two other games currently that exist that are like that. Um, one of them, I don't remember the name of it, but you get to write on the sides mm. of the dice. I, I've heard that one's kind of meh. The other one is Rattlebones, which has been around for two or three years now, I want to say. And I'd always kind of been like a little bit interested in Rattlebones, but not enough to seek it out specifically. Mm-hmm. And it seems like uh, thoughts on that game are also a bit mixed. But I I adore Dice Forge. If you like light games, it's quick to play. Like, I think it took us even learning it and then playing it, like set up all of it took uh, less than an hour. So it's pretty quick. And the uh, insert is great. The box is beautiful. All the artwork is beautiful. Just all the way around. I love it. I love it so much. I recommend it highly. So if it hasn't been made abundantly clear from the past 33 episodes prior to this, I like dice a lot. And Ambi seems to be kind of ambivalent about dice, if she can correct me if I'm wrong. And Cassidy used to be a bit of a dice hater, but has started to come around. If I, I mean, not not entirely, but in some regards. Would that be... An accurate statement. It's scary and weird, and I don't know who I am anymore. (laughs) Yeah, for me, I only like dice in certain ways. Like, I don't like dice rolling, like, in Risk, where it's just completely random who wins, kind of, at the end of the game. (laughs) But but dice are okay if you're rolling them, and then you get to do things afterwards. So there was a good game tech segment in Dice Tower episode 492, where... Jeff Engelstein talked about rolling dice as input randomness versus output randomness. So output randomness... Oh yeah, that was a really good segment. Yeah, so output randomness is like in risk where you're rolling and then you have no control over what the output action is. Like you're trying to attack, but then if you roll wrong, then you maybe you don't attack. Whereas input randomness is you roll and then you see what you can do with that. And then once you choose an action, you can do it. So a lot of... There's a lot of new Euro games that are like dice placement where that's input randomness, you roll, and then like you get to choose which dice to use, kind of. I would say input randomness would also be uh, included in a game like Quantum, where mm-hmm. you, like, you have to roll to see which ships you get, one through six, but then once you know what ships you get, you can figure out where to deploy them and how to use them after the fact. And then you can use the face of the die to potentially change it to a different face, so there's a mm-hmm. lot of mitigation there. I love Quantum, but it really does not feel much like a luck-based game, there are battles. Like when you attack one another, you do have to roll dice to f- when you're fighting, but you're not, the die you roll is mitigated by the ship you're using to attack with, and you add those numbers together. So it's not entirely random like in yeah. Risk. And I think that's a good point to make. I think game designers have definitely realized that dice can be used in more interesting and creative ways in games. It's not just, as our friends at Flip the Table would say, just for roll and move games. (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) Oh, shout out to Flip the Table. They just, uh, about a month ago, ended their five-year run of podcasting, and it makes me very, very sad that they're gone. So if you haven't listened to Flip the Table yet, you've got 111 episodes of awesomeness to catch up on. They hold up well over time, too, so that's nice. (laughs) So, Cassidy, why do you think your 
opinions on dice games have started to shift more so. Because I remember specifically when we first started talking in the podcast, like, I think I would mention something had dice in it. And you kind of, you used to be like, nope, nope, not playing it. Like, not at all. And just over the course of the past, what, we've been podcasting for 16 months now, I think that those opinions have started to shift for you. Is there any specific reason you can pinpoint as to why that is? I've been playing a lot of games that use dice but not in the typical fashion that i that i'm used to seeing dice in games like risk it's not it's not output randomness it's more like input randomness so games like bruges and trois and castles of burgundy marco polo things like that where you can either manipulate the dice so what you roll isn't necessarily what you're stuck with or you always have something that you can do with them and you're not necessarily just unable to do a thing because you rolled poorly. Ambie, what are your, some of your favorite games where dice plays not necessarily like the biggest role, but a, a significant role in how the gameplay goes? So now I might actually like dice less than Cassidy because a lot of those, <gasps> well, I mean, I, a lot of the times with, I don't like a lot of the dice placement Euro games. I think it's okay if, if you're rolling and then everyone gets the same dice to choose from kind of like like in like sagrada Trois. or yeah Trois, mm -hmm. there's like a central market of dice but if you each roll your own dice and then you get from that you can still get screwed by your dice roll because some actions are better than others and even if it's input randomness it's still sometimes very sad <laughs> yeah, I, I played Marco Polo one time, which mm -hmm. that's not obviously my normal type of game. And I think the only reason I did not hate it is because the special power or ability, whatever, that I got at the beginning of the game was the one that allows you to set the faces of your dice yeah. to anything you want. <laughs> and that was the only way I was able to manage my way through that game reasonably. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't win by any means, but I did not have a horrible time. So that's yeah, a good so. thing. Yeah, so like I don't particularly like Marco Polo. I played it once. It was okay, but not a game I really like. But I do like dice in cooperative games. So Fuse is one of my favorite dice games. You roll dice and then try to put them on bombs to defuse them. Also, Escaped Curse of the Temple is another dice game. Those were both real-time dice games. <laughs> and... Uh, Oh, those yeah. moments in Escape, though, where all of your dice get locked and <laughs> yeah. you have to have someone come save you are so, like, stressful. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, my God, like, someone please come over here and help me. <laughs> yeah. And then sometimes their dice get locked, too, and then everyone's screwed. But the game only takes 10 minutes to play, so yeah. nobody's mad. Yeah, and it's cooperative and it adds to the theme, like, tense, stressful, trying to escape. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so other than the ones you already mentioned, Cassidy, are there any other games with dice that you've really kind of taken a liking to over the past year or so, or even prior to that? I I really love Sagrada. Like, I, yeah, I honestly Sagrada. can't get enough of that game. The solo mm -hmm. game is really difficult and pleasant. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good game. I don't know if I would necessarily say that I really like Pandemic the Cure, but I do like how the dice are utilized in that particular game. I tried Pandemic the Cure and I I didn't dislike it, but I just, it doesn't feel very compelling to me in the way that Pandemic was when I first played it. And I don't quite know why, because I like dice, but for some <laughs> reason I prefer the regular Pandemic to Pandemic the Cure. Yeah, I still prefer regular Pandemic and we'll go to that before the Cure, but yeah. I think it's 
I think it's because I like to see the dice without actually having numbers on them. It's just fun to see all the different iconography on them. Now I'm trying to think if there's a dice game version of a real game that I like more than the actual game. Because there are a lot of dice game versions of actual games now. Yeah, there's uh, like La Graja No Siesta. There's Nations the Dice Game, Mm -hmm. which I've played Nations the Dice Game, but I have not played Nations. Yeah, I think same here. (laughs) I play both. I prefer Nations. Okay, yeah, so... I I did not like Nations the Dice Game, so it definitely did not make me want to play regular (laughs) Nations. Yeah, there's a lot of... It seems like that's kind of a little bit trendy to make Mm -hmm. dice versions. Oh, there's also a... um, Aquasphere dice game as well. Oh, Octodice? Yes, Octodice. Yeah, I, I didn't really like that one. <laughs> it, it, I looked at the sheet and I was like, man, there's a lot of stuff on there. Because <laughs> it's a roll and write game. I guess, yeah, there's a lot of roll and write games too. That Those are dice games. <laughs> yeah, Quix is something I've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorites and I bring it with me almost everywhere, especially if I'm going to be with people who aren't like hardcore gamers because I can introduce Quix to just about anybody. I think for me, so... I would agree with what you guys said that input randomness is often preferable to output randomness, but I have a caveat to that for my own personal gaming tastes in that I believe that output randomness, when utilized properly, can help increase or better the theme of a game. And I think some good examples of that would be stuff like Betrayal at House on the Hill. Like when you have to make a haunt check, All you're doing is just rolling the dice to see if the right number of things pop up. But like every time someone picks up either the couple of dice or the handful of dice to roll, everyone is kind of on the edge (laughs) of their chairs. Like is the haunt about to start? And even better than that would be Dead of Winter. When the very first time I played Dead of Winter, which was right after it released, the exposure die, it's a thing Mm -hmm. for me because... It really genuinely helps bring out the theme of that game. When you travel from place to place or when you battle a zombie, unless you have a way to mitigate it, you have to roll the exposure die and one face of that die is instant death for your character. No way to prevent it. If you roll that face, your character dies. And while that sucks, especially if it happens on the first turn of the game, And that has happened to my friend, I think, on two separate occasions where he rolled the bite mark on the first turn of the game and lost one of his two characters. That does suck. But without that fear of losing your characters, I don't think the theme would be as strong because you're in the zombie apocalypse in wintertime. Like, it makes sense that when you travel from place to place, there's a chance that you would just die or get Mm -hmm. frostbite or get wounded. And oh, every time I roll that die, my heart beats a little bit faster. And it's just, oh, goodness. Yeah, I agree with that. It also, and it gives you the incentive to use fuel. And then it's like, do I want to use this fuel or risk it getting killed? Right. right so. And I do, I do appreciate games that have random, out, like output randomness with dice, but then also provide ways to mitigate mm-hmm rolls yeah. like to- tokens that allow you to re-roll or other things like that so that way you can't get completely screwed mm-hmm. or games like order of the gilded compass where you roll all of your dice and then you get to choose which ones you use and then when it gets back to your next turn you roll all of them again so if you make one big roll and it's not that great it doesn't affect the entire round because you're going to keep rolling them each time it comes back to you and of course i think i mean we mentioned it in the last episode and 
technically Gen Con has now already happened, but we are recording this pre-Gen Con. So the we have to mention strike, right? Like yes. we have to <laughs> And now I'm gonna I'm gonna look into the future, which is technically now the past. And I'm going to say that Cassidy went with you to the Rolling Dice and Taking Names meetup. And Ambi was on team Gladiators in Arena. I I was going to be on team Marty, I think. What? You're Dice and Bull? Oh, traitor. Wait. Otherwise, it's not a dice game. It's a gladiator game. But it is a gladiator game. So, but but if it's not, (laughs) but it's dice. So to be called a dice game, it's got to be Dice and Bull. You're still rolling <laughs> dice. They just happen exactly. to also be gladiators. <laughs> Can't be on both. Well, regardless, teams, I'm going to hope that that went really, really well. And if something crazy happened or there was something very interesting to report from that, maybe future Ambi can pop in <laughs> and give us a tiny snippet of how that event went down. But I hope it was lots of fun. And Strike is an awesome game. And I wish it was more easily available like it's hard to get i found on amazon i found copies for like 35 bucks and that just does not it's i almost i'm i'm close to pulling the trigger at that (laughs) price but uh it's just yeah it's a lot for a bunch of dice and a bowl basically because oh no dice and bowl team (laughs) no i take it all back gladiators in arena it's i'm worth 35 dollars i should just buy it (laughs) i'm sorry tony (laughs) Hi, this is Future Ambi here with a recap from Gen Con. So Cassidy and I both actually went to the strike tournament, and Cassidy was on Team Dyson Bowl. And originally I was going to be on Team Dyson Bowl, but when I got there, there were like 10 more people on Team Dyson Bowl than, Dice, than uh, Gladiator and Arena. And on the sign-up sheet, it only said Bowl and Arena. And I actually think it's Dyson Arena, because that's what it looks like. So both Toby and I signed up for Dyson Arena. And Toby ended up winning the tournament, which was really exciting. So Toby is the grand champion strike master with his skills at dice throwing, or I guess gladiator throwing. And Marty got to wear a squirrel costume the next day. So basically what this boils down to is dice can be super awesome, right? Yep. I don't know if I'd go that far. (laughs) (laughs) Can be. I didn't say always are. I still don't know, man. Dice have the potential (laughs) to be really, really fun in the right context. This could be okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to convert her eventually, folks. Don't worry. (laughs) For this week's etymology segment, since I covered the word dice in a past episode, we're going to dive into the history of the word roll instead. The verb form of the word roll originated in the 1300s and meant turn over and over or move by rotating. Later in that century, the definition shifted a bit to to move something by turning it over and over. Roll came from the old French word roller, meaning roll or wheel round. The modern French equivalent of this word is roulet. The French version of the word can be traced back to the medieval Latin word rotulare, which came from the Latin word rotula, which was the diminutive of rota, which meant wheel. While the word roll is fairly modern, relatively speaking, dice are actually some of the oldest gaming implements known to man. The exact origins are unknown, but in Greek and Roman times, dice were made of a variety of materials, including bone, ivory, bronze, agate, rock crystal, alabaster, marble, amber, or porcelain. 
Cubicle dice, with markings practically equivalent to the markings on modern dice, have been found in excavations in China dating back to 600 BCE and in Egyptian tombs dating back to 2000 BCE. Pyramid-shaped dice, now generally known as a D4, date back just as far, including those found with the so-called Royal Game of Ur, that's U-R, one of the oldest complete board games that has ever been discovered, which dates back to ancient Sumer in the third millennium BCE. You'd think that with dice being that old, the mathematical concepts about dice would be pretty old too. But in fact, the concepts of randomness and probability weren't developed until the 16th century, most notably by Italians Girolamo Cardano and Galileo. Prior to their work, most people believed that dice and similar objects fell the way that they did because of the indirect actions of gods or other supernatural forces. So next time you're rolling poorly, you'll have to choose who to appeal to, some greater power in the sky or Galileo's ghost. And that's it for this week's Board Game Blitz. Visit our website, BoardGameBlitz.com, to get links to all our social media pages, including our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Board Game Geek Guild. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to show us a little love, you can become a patron for as little as $1 a month. Just head to Patreon.com slash BoardGameBlitz. Our patrons get a lot of benefits, including access to our private Slack channel, where you can chat with us directly anytime. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Morrow. Technical support provided by Toby Mao. Board Game Blitz is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Check out the other shows in the network by visiting Dicetowernetwork.com. Until next time. Alright, stop. Collaborate and listen. Dice are back and you know we're gonna blitz some something. Grabs a hold of them tightly, roll like a boss, daily and nightly. Will we ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Get out the game and I'll roll. To the extreme, I rock the die like a vandal. Light up the board and roll more crits than you can handle. Dice! Bye, everyone! Bye! Yeah, that sounds cool. I haven't... (coughs) (coughs) (laughs) 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 If you're at at Gen Con and it's there, which I imagine it will be, I'd say pick it up. This episode's after Gen Con. Oh shoot! <laughs> I just cut it delete off that whole that. delete that whole part. I'm my brain. Yay! Five hours of sleep. If you went to Gen Con, get in your DeLorean and go back and buy Dice Forge. That's a thing. Ugh.